following message is presented by Community Gospel Church in Bremen, Indiana. It is our great privilege to share this ministry with you. We in no way intend for this to be a replacement for the local church. It is our prayer that this would serve as a resource to help make Jesus Christ known in our congregation and other congregations gathering across the world. For more information about Community Gospel Church, visit www.communitygospelchurch.com. pray for Bethany and I. Uh, Galatians chapter 6 is where we're going to be at today. Galatians chapter 6. We're going to look at verse 1. I was so excited this week. Uh, We actually, um, by God's provision, got new air conditioners for the church and all that other stuff, and and they work great when the power's on. So, um, yeah, and and I told Coleman this morning, too, by the way, I said, you know, this is par for the course. Like, it's always hot in our sanctuary. Like, we couldn't figure out the air conditioning for the longest time. It's like an old-school revival this morning. So, if you're hot, just remember, I'm, I'm burning. Um, so we're good. Burning in a good way. Holy cow, that could be bad. Galatians chapter 6, verse 1. We're going to look at the, uh, the 18 verses here, specifically the first 10 uh, in Galatians chapter 6. If you are new and uh, you're thinking to yourself, man, I came at the end, that's okay. Uh, we'll catch you up to speed. If you want to really get caught up to speed, you can go back and look uh, at communitygospelchurch.com. All of our messages are posted if you're curious on chapters 1 through 5. Um, but Galatians chapter 6, Paul is our author. And Paul is an apostle of Christ Jesus. And he has been commissioned by God to declare the gospel, the excellencies of him who called us out of darkness and into glorious light. And as uh, Paul realizes the brevity of the situation. And what I mean by that is he realizes that, that God demands his soul, his life, his all. He is called and commanded to take the gospel to the ends of the earth. So Paul goes to this region called Galatia. And as he goes to Galatia, it's modern day Turkey, and he starts uh, planting churches. And what happens is he goes back to his home and he, he learns that there were specific individuals in the regions of Galatia who had come and tried to deceive the believers that had accepted the gospel of Jesus Christ. Who had confessed with their mouth that they're sinners and believed that Jesus Christ is Lord. And so what happened and transpired was they're trying to trip up these new uh, believers in the faith with this thing called works. They said, you have to work towards your salvation They were Old Testament Jews, and God gave this big law in the Old Testament, and they said, listen, you have to follow that law to the letter, and namely, there was one big issue in regards to circumcision, and uh, Jesus fulfilled the law, and so they were confused. Do we listen to these Judaizers who knew the Old Testament really well, or do we listen to this Paul guy who knows Jesus really well? And the crazy thing about Paul is that he was a chief Pharisee, so he knew uh, everything that the Judaizers knew, if not more. And so they were like, we want to listen to you, Paul, but what do we do? They said, the sin constantly trips us up. We're constantly falling short. Well, what's sin? Sin is any transgression of God's law that is outlined in his word. And what Paul says is he's like, listen, it doesn't matter if you're a Judaizer or a Gentile. It doesn't matter if you're from Wyatt, Indiana, or Lakeville, or Bremen, or South Bend, or whatever. All have sinned, Romans 3.23 says, and fallen short of the glory of God. Everybody has sinned. Everybody, directly or indirectly, has rebelled against God, and sin is when we protest against God, we miss his purposes for our life, and we surrender to evil. And they're like, we get that, we understand that, but how do we overcome it? And here's like his final words to these Galatians. He's going to close addressing a major problem. So he's going to give a hypothetical in verse 1, and he's going to say, let's say somebody sins in the church. That doesn't happen a whole lot, does it? 
Let's say that somebody has a transgression or sins or gives in to the manifestations of the flesh. If you would, go back into chapter 5 and look at what verse 19 says. See, everybody knows the fruit of the Spirit, but not a lot of people know about the works of the flesh. And Paul is going to unpack, hypothetically, he's going to say, hey, if somebody does one of these things, immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, amenity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, enviness, drunkenness, ordinance, or all the above. <laughs> all right? If somebody does this, how do we respond? And he says, well, first of all, how do you respond to your sin is how you respond to other sin. And basically what Paul's going to say is we, he's going to say we all need restored. All believers have a responsibility to strive to overcome sin under the blood of Jesus Christ and also a responsibility to help others. Look at it, In that first verse he says, believers are to keep in step with the Spirit, a vertical effort, and encourage others to keep the same pace, horizontal. We, group effort, don't give up. And so what he says is, here's what I want to show you guys. You, you, you Gentiles, but also Community Gospel Church, gathered here this morning, how to overcome sin. Let's talk about it. Uh, how to overcome sin. All right. Let's look at verse 1. Galatians chapter 6, verse 1. Brothers and sisters, let's throw the ladies in the mix too, all right? If anyone, 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 say anyone, anyone is caught in transgression, is caught in sin. You can replace that word transgression with sin. You who are spiritual, and you can put parentheticals in you who are spiritual and say uh, believers in the Lord Jesus Christ. Not you who are above somebody else or think that you're mature. Anybody who claims to be a follower of Jesus Christ should restore that person in a spiritual, in a spirit, excuse me, of gentleness. But when you do that, you need to keep watch on yourself, lest you too also be tempted. So how do I overcome this sin? Paul, how do we overcome these people who have problems, who push against us in the church? What are we supposed to do? He says, first of all, number one is, you need to welcome restoration to yourself, but you also need to push restoration for the people. This hypothetical case, say a fellow believer is caught, you could circle that word in the text, has a transgression, maybe your text says. Now, if you were reading that passage of scripture, you would have re uh, remembered the woman who was caught in adultery in John chapter eight, verse three through five. It would have just rang out in your mind. You'd been like, oh, like that situation. If you want, you can go back later and read that. And Paul says, it's not if this happens, it's when somebody sins. It's when you sin and it's when I sin. And the command here is believers, you who are spiritual, who walk by the spirit, not by the flesh, have to work to restore, not ridicule that person via a process of restoration. So oftentimes in the church when somebody sins, we like to ridicule because it puts us above that person we feel better about ourselves. Let's just get that on the table right here, right now. Okay, it just makes me feel better to know that you sinned worse than I sinned. And then this opposite is true too. Like, I want you to succeed just not as much as I do, right? That's how that works. And Paul says both of those are bad. What's restoration? Restore in the Greek is a word that is used for mending fishing nets or uh, resetting broken bones. And what Paul says is he says, listen, if somebody fails, when somebody fails, and they break their leg, you don't just walk away and leave them there. God says, you who are spiritual, there's verse one, set or fix the broken bones. Well, how am I supposed to do that? Well, here's what we do, okay? This is really this simple. 
First thing that we do is we say, hey, I think I have a broken bone or you have a broken bone. Let's just admit that there is a problem. AA alcoholics do this all the time. The first step is just admitting that you have a problem. So let's just convict the sin. I think you have a broken bone, okay? Number two, you have to encourage repentance. This is called humility. You're right, I do have a broken bone. So let's get help. You may be, in the process of restoration, the best person to help somebody be restored. You may not be, okay? If you have a broken bone, I'm not going to reset it myself. I'm not a doctor. That's not going to work out very well for you, okay? It's not going to heal correctly. But he says, here, I want you to encourage repentance. You're right. Let's get help. And then what should we do? Let's pray. What is the wisdom, the best plan of action to move forward? The goal is always, as believers in Jesus Christ, to get back on our feet. Let's just think about that right now. What restoration do I need in my life and what do I need to do for my fellow brother and sister who need restoration to get them back on their feet? What do we need to do here? Hebrews chapter 12, set, strengthen, fix, what? Hands that are weak and knees that are feeble. James 5, anyone sick, confess your sins to one another, pray for one another that you may be healed. Effective prayers of the righteous can accomplish much. The process of restoration starts with the acknowledgement that we are sinners and fallen short of the glory of God. The process of restoration also is admitting that I have a problem. What is your problem? What is one thing that you have done that has transgressed against God's law? For those of you who don't know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, your first step is to say, I am a sinner and I need a Savior. For those of us who know Jesus, we understand that there's a manifestation of the flesh that is, that is active in us, and we have to strive to identify that, encourage repentance, and then get help and pray, okay? We all need to be restored this way. Now, caution. If you are going to help restore somebody, which I think everybody wants to help, right? I think everybody wants to help. If we are going to restore people, then we have to be careful in helping not to become offenders. That's what Paul says in verse two, because even mature believers stumble and need to be attentive to their heart. Paul gave some warning to the church in Corinth, same way, don't have to turn there. 1 Corinthians 10, 12, let him who thinks he stands take heed lest he doesn't fall. Now, this is a brilliant illustration, just happened this week. Uh, out here, uh, Shively Road runs um, uh, this way, I believe. East and West, thank you, Julie, appreciate you. Uh, and then um, 330 run, runs north and south. Oh, good, okay. Um, that's Kevin's wife, so you can uh, realize, is what it is. Um, so, uh, also, also my neighbor, yes, absolutely true. So it looks like this, okay? And I'll let you decide which one you think is which. Regardless, for whatever reason, Shively was missing a stop sign. And a full truck with a trailer ran the stop sign and T-boned a lady who was driving on 331. And they ended up 200 meters in the field over here. Nobody got hurt, uh, amazingly. Uh, but it was, it was crazy. So I am coming to church, and uh, all my Madison Township firefighters are there. Uh, the county was there. I don't know what they were doing because we know about county cops. Just kidding. Uh, and uh, love all of them. Love, love the blue line regardless. Okay. And... Uh, and they're standing there, but what I noticed was they set up a perimeter in order to help, okay? 
First responders set up a perimeter. And when you set up a perimeter, you are allowed in that if you have been trained on how to help. If not, you could hurt that person who has been in that accident. That's exactly what Paul's saying. He's like, hey, if you're gonna be a restorer, okay, you have to make sure that you're that person who can help restore. You gotta be really careful because sometimes you can get sucked in. So he would say to the church in Galatia, how are you doing on, first of all, welcoming restoration? Can you imagine if those two cars just got out of their car and was like, hey, we're good, we're fine. You need medical attention, okay? We still wanna check you out, make sure that everything is good, all right? We wanna make sure that you're okay. And do we need to admit that our sin this morning and come to Christ or admit an area in our life that needs repentance and restoration? Is there someone who you need to call out for your, uh, of their sin? We have to get over ourselves and get help. Be humble and participate in the joy of accountability. Here's the two questions I've been asking all week long. I'm going to ask them to you at least three times today. What needs restoring in your life? And who needs your help with the restoration process in your life? Okay? Look at verse 2. Bear one another's burdens. And so fulfill the law of Christ. The law of Christ is this. You should love the Lord God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. Who is my neighbor? My neighbor is anyone who has a need in which I am able to meet. Verse 3. If anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. Verse 4. But let each one of us test his own work. And then his reason to boast will be in himself alone and not in his neighbor, for each will have to bear his own load. Paul's words sometimes, as Peter says, are hard to understand, amen? So let's see if we can understand this. What he says is, if you want to overcome sin, not only do you have to welcome restoration, but you have to understand when you welcome that restoration, there's some relief that comes. When you humble yourself, when you eliminate your pride, and you start to ask for help, and you start to give other people help, you will see some relief that comes. And most of the time, relief doesn't come because we have not opened our mouth. Restoration at the core is bearing one another's burdens, verse 2. You cannot overcome sin on your own. You need two things. Number one, you need the Holy Spirit through faith and trust in Jesus Christ. You have to come to the Lord through repentance. You say, God, I know I'm a sinner. I need a Savior. I repent of my sin. I trust Jesus Christ as Savior. That's number one. The first relief that comes is in salvation and through faith in Jesus Christ alone. You don't have that. You need to get that fast. As we see the day approaching, there's a little white booklet in the front of your pews. It has the gospel clearly explained for you. Open that up, read it, confess your sins, accept Jesus Christ as Savior. Now, most of us have done that, if not all of us have done that, and here's what's happening. We have not embraced sanctification, which is coming like Christ, because here's here's the problem. I say this as nice as I possibly can. We love Jesus, we don't love the church, okay? Like I hear this all the time. People say, I love the Lord, but I don't love the church. Then you don't love the Lord because our relationship with God is both vertical through faith in Christ, but it's horizontal because we need people in this world. And not people, we need brothers and sisters in this world. Help me lest I fall. And that's what Paul's saying here. He's looking at the Galatians. He's saying, guys, you need one another. Don't backbite. Don't have these manifestations create divisions within you. He says, you need to be liberated from the world, and that happens with the Lord's help and with each other's help. So how does that bring relief? Well, first thing is, uh, you gotta let people bear the burdens. How do I let people bear the burdens? Here's what I've learned. You let people bear the burdens, 
by opening your mouth and communicating what's going on. And men, like I'm talking to myself here, stop trying to fix people's problems and just listen to them. People just need to be heard. We listen to people so much with the intent to speak back instead of just listen and understand. How do I bear somebody's burdens? I just listen to you and I say, man, I have no idea what that's like, but I know that that hurts, right? I know that you're going through pain. I, I understand that and I'm sorry that you're hurting this way, but I'm here for you. And so what Paul says is, you got look, this horizontal relationship, that's all verse three and four is about. We need to embrace this relationship with our burden bearers, our brothers and sisters, and say to them, your fight is my fight. I'm gonna shoulder what you're going through. A uh, very famous commentary says this, what makes us tender and helpful in these situations and circumstances is this. When we're meek and kindly towards others, the realization that we ourselves are nothing and that we too need our brothers and sisters in Jesus Christ. I need you in my life. Somebody asked me last week, they said, hey, how'd that pastor swap thing go? They obviously don't go to our church. And I said, oh, it was really interesting. They're like, do you like it there better than you like your church? And I said, first of all, it's our church. It's not my church, okay? I said, but um, I, I really missed home. I missed being with my people. Satisfaction with self never, or satisfaction with self, as he says, makes poor helpers from those in need of fraternal support. We have people in our congregation who are sick or who have relatives who are sick. And you know what they say? It's like, what's the one thing that gets you through this dark time, this hard time? You know what they tell me? Just knowing that our church family is there and praying for us. Whoa. That's it. It's not, oftentimes it's not meals, those help. It's not coming over. It's, it's, it's just knowing that somebody knows that you hurt. And that's what Paul says. He says, Galatians, Community Gospel Church, just just, just communicate with one another. Bring darkness to light. Verbalize what's transpiring internally to your brothers and sisters in Christ. Now, there is this problem here in verse five. There's something that we carry by ourselves that we cannot communicate. What do I do with that? We all bear one another's burdens, but we also carry a load that only Jesus can help with. This is an internal strife that only God knows about. We can't communicate it to others. And this is where I love the gospel because it does the work under the skin. It just really starts to like permeate every area of my life. There's things I struggle with. I could get up here and I could talk for hours and I, you still would have no idea. You wouldn't understand. And I'd be like, it's just something going on inside of me. I can't explain it. And that's when Christ looks at me and says, hey, I want that. I want that one thing. The word bear there in verse five, if you want to circle that, it's used like backpack of a marching soldier. And when the load gets too burdensome, God promises to help carry it for believers. We were talking in the nine o'clock hour, which is funny how everything lines up. Funny by, I mean God's sovereignty, not funny, ha ha. And um, we were talking about how, how God goes before you. He, sta- he takes up the rear guard. He goes beside you, right? He goes wherever you go. Jesus says, I'll never leave you. I'll never forsake you. But here's the crazy thing. We've been studying First and Second Samuel in the Old Testament, and there's a temporary dwelling of the Holy Spirit, but in the New Testament, it's permanent, And so God dwells within us. And if God dwells within us, then he carries that load for us as well. God carries our internal, uncommunicated burden many ways, but the major one is through prayer and memorizing his word. Look at Jesus in the Gospels. In these disciplines, we see we can trust the Lord. Now, here's the thing. Your burdens, whatever they may be, okay? This morning, just gonna be real with you. Your burdens, whatever they may be, they can be a tombstone hung around your neck or They can be like a diver 
with a weight on him, digging down to look for precious pearls. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, when you face trials of many kinds. So if we want to find relief in the struggle with the flesh, what do, what, do I, what do I do? I don't have a slide for this, but let me just tell you how this works in everyday life. I think this is how Christ carries the small, but I think this is how others carry the big. First of all, um, I think you need to be committed to church. Like, I'm going to be unapologetic about that. I think you need a church home. I think community gospel is that church. Okay? I just... <laughs> I told somebody the other day, they're like, where would you go to church if you lived in Bremen? I go, I would go to Community Gospel Church. What about South Bend? I would go to Community Gospel Church. Wyatt, I would go to Community Gospel Church because it's the only church that's like even close. Um, as a matter of fact, I would drive to go here. Like, I just would. I want to be here whenever the doors open, not just because I'm the pastor, but this is when the saints gather. Bethany made a little bit of a joke this morning, but she's right. Like, I hate closing the church. I mean, last year there was this big situation that happened in the world, and we were like, um, do we close the church? And I said, no, we, we can't. This is the ecclesia. This is the gathering of the saints. This is where we fellowship with one another, right? This is where I come to get recharged, and this is where I come to, you know, see what's going on. This is what Bethany says is passing the peace of Jesus Christ. We hear the word taught. We, we take time to observe the table and have communion, and then we send out, right? Like, this is, this is what it looks like. I want to be here whenever uh, it goes, some of you, and this is super hard for me to say, but I think Paul would say this. He would say, Galatians, you need to be together every time that you possibly can. You need to gather as much as possible. You need to be committed here. Some of you guys work uh, every other week, and you're here. your committed attendance is 24 out of 52. That's great. And some of us can be here every single week. That's great. We want to commit to the church. I want to be here. And what about the rest of the week? Isn't it funny that we have Monday through Saturday, so what am I supposed to do? Here's the deal. I think Paul would say, if you have the word, you need to be in the word, and there's a strong case that you need to be in the word in the morning before you do anything else. I told the church at Wawasee, I said, you guys need to be in a 365-day Bible reading plan. There's no excuse not to be in the word every single day. <laughs> Somebody came up to me after church, and they said, what version? I said, I don't care anything but the message. <laughs> They're like, what do you have against the message? And I said, it's good to see you too. <laughs> um, I don't want to go into that right now. Uh, so daily Bible reading. Um, here's, here's another thing. I think in the middle of the week, every single day, we need to be in constant prayer. In the morning, you need to pray. In the evening, you need to pray. And I think you need to pray every single time at meals. I watch so many people don't pray for their meals. Are you crazy? I prayed for air conditioning this morning. <laughs> the Bible says pray without ceasing. Here's the checklist, right? How am I doing and committed to, to the church how am I doing in spending time in God's word? How am, I how am I doing in constantly being in prayer? Here's another one. How am I doing with my uh, weekly accountability partners? Somebody who holds me accountable. I have a friend of mine. He, uh, he's, he used to be a camp director. He's huge. I mean, like, and I don't mean huge in a bad way. Like, he is just built. He has three accountability partners. One for his head, one for his heart, and one for the world. I love that. And they meet once a week. What about small group? Man, we need, be in, we need these people in our lives. Okay, here's my checklist on how I'm doing. Uh, the last one, where am I serving in the church and where am I serving in the community? Internal and external. Now here's the crazy thing. Paul would say, based off everything we've studied in Galatians chapter one through five, don't work for it, worship in it. Because in Proverbs chapter four, it says everything flows out of your heart. So here's the thing, look at this. Church on Sunday, gathering of the saints, reading my Bible every single day, spending time in prayer, having uh, some sort of accountability, having an area of a service, 
what one of those areas needs restoration in your life? And here's the other thing. What is somebody in your life who needs help with that restoration? I can't do those on my own. I have somebody who texts me all the time, like, Jordan, read the Bible today? I'm like, as a matter of fact, I did. Right? I have somebody who asked me, hey, how are you doing with prayer? Okay? Uh, like I said, we were doing this um, church swap thing, which was really interesting. And I told the church at Wawasee last week, I said, your pastor, his name's Josh, who you guys saw last week, he is so near and dear to my heart because when we sit down for lunch, we don't talk about the weather, we talk about Jesus. And here's the thing, if you don't have those relationships in your life, if you're sitting here and you're thinking to yourself, Pastor Jordan, I don't have anybody who's, who's like a mature believer in the Lord. Here's the thing, you can pray for it and God will grant that, I promise you. You can pray for those things. You pray to the Lord for those things. When I get to a spot in my life and I think, God, I don't have that, he says, I want you to pray about that, okay? That's where we find relief. That's where we find restoration. Now look, he closes in verse six and he says, one who is taught, and what he's saying here is he's not talking about teacher like, like education. He's saying the person who uh, is, is doing the restoring, okay, for another word. The one who is, uh, who is taught, the, the word must share all good things with the one who teaches. So he's talking about that relationship there, okay? He's talking about uh, the person who's bearing the burden and the person who's having the burden be bore. Seven, don't be deceived. God's not mocked. In other words, don't, don't mock his ways for whatever one sows that he will also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption, but the one who sows to the spirit will from the spirit reap eternal life. So look at what he says to the Galatians. Let's not grow weary in being burden bearers. Let's not grow weary in welcoming restoration in our own lives. For in due season, if we do those things, we will reap if we do not give up. Somebody needs to hear that this morning. I don't know who it is. Somebody needs to hear, don't give up. Like, just don't give up. There's so many times we just want to give up. Don't give up. Paul says, no, run the race. So then, as we have the opportunity, let's do good. Let's do godly things to everyone, and especially to those who are of the household of faith. So he says, first we go internally, and to Paul, that would be to the Jews, and then to the Gentiles. What in the world is he talking about? Listen, he says, if you welcome, if you would humble yourselves and stop, okay, being so prideful, you will see the riches, not monetarily necessarily, you will see the riches that come from restoration and relief. Now, some people, this is really funny, in verse 6, some people say that Paul's saying you should pay the preacher, which I don't disagree with at all, um, but he's not. That's not what he's saying. It wouldn't make any sense. What Paul's doing is he's saying, look, look, at, look at church. I want to show you what comes when you humble yourself and you say, I need restored, and you humble yourself and you go to your brother and sister and you say, I want you to be restored. This is what happens. Look, number one, verse 6, both parties gain God's favor. It's like God smiles upon this relationship. The one who bears the burdens, holds another up, imparts God's word, and shares, there's that word, konia, the, the fellowship in the learning process. In other words, if you're involved in a restoration process, both parties gain benefit. Both are humble. This is how this really breaks down. Are you your brother's keeper? Yes. A thousand percent Yes. If your brother and sister is caught in a sin and you are not opening your mouth, communicating what is going on in their life, you are sinning along with them. That's what the Bible says. And when you go to restore your brother, Matthew uh, chapter 18, and your brother welcomes that restoration, 
or sister. And guys, be real careful. You are not called to go to women, okay? Like, that's a church's responsibility. We can go, that's another sermon for another day. But women to women, guys to guys, okay? Like, let's keep that there because it can go south real quickly. God smiles upon that. He loves when the saints humble themselves. God loves when his people help each other out. He rewards those with favor. Uh, Ecclesiastes chapter four, verse 12. A person standing alone can be attacked and defeated, but two can stand back to back and conquer. There are even better, a third or a triple braided cord is not easily broken. This is how you find success in God's eyes. This is how he smiles upon you when you humble yourself. Get rid of pride. Number two, both parties understand restoration. Both parties understand restoration. When it says in verse seven that God can't be mocked, what it's saying is sometimes what will happen is you will approach somebody and you'll talk to them and they'll look at you and they'll say, uh, I have no idea what you're talking about. Or who is this God? Or whatever the case is, right? There's a great passage of scripture. We've been, like I said, we've been studying First and Second Samuel. And uh, in Second Samuel um, chapter 12, in verse 1 through 10, Nathan comes in to David. <laughs> it's, it's one of my favorite passages of scripture. He gives David this great story. He says, David, there's this guy, and he sinned, and he's kind of just running amok, no pun intended, uh, all across uh, the land. And, and David's like, man, I hate that guy. I hate when that happens. And Nathan, uh, in love, says, well, well, you're that guy. And so he says, you need restoration, and I'm the one who's going to help you. <laughs> and Nathan's message to David reminds him, David, of God's mercy and love. If somebody comes and convicts you and says you need restoration and it's in condemnation, they have not done it the proper way. It's always to be in love. So here's my question. When you understand restoration, you have to understand it like Nathan and David. Who are you a Nathan to and who is the Nathan in your life? Here's what I'm learning. Nathans are extremely frustrating in life, but they help me avoid failure. The Nathans in my life who tell me the truth, are so frustrating. But man, do we flourish when we welcome that. And both parties, as Paul says in verse nine, persevere. The process of restoration and relief is ongoing. It never stops. I ask Jesus this all the time. When does this end? And he says, never. Not until the day of glory. When does my restoration cease? He's like, never. You are saved by the blood of the lamb. That's salvation. Your whole life, you will be sanctified and set apart for the gospel of Jesus Christ. It will be an ongoing humility process. This is why some people left Jesus, because his words were hard. And they realized it was gonna take forever. But then glorification is God looking at us, and he says, why should I let you into heaven? And you say, because I sinned, and I fell short of the glory of God, and your blood covers my sin, and the only thing that I was depending on in life was you. I had faith and trust that you, your blood covers my sins. He says, okay, then here, follow me. And as we follow the Lord into eternity, he looks at us, and he says, okay, what did you do with my son? What did you do with Jesus? And if we want to hear God say, well done, my good and faithful servant, then we get serious about sin. And I love it in verse nine. Look, Paul says, you Galatians are taxing. But he brings that darkness to light and he calls them to hold him accountable. Diedrich Bonhoeffer said, we must be ready to allow ourselves to be interrupted by God. And that's what happens when we need restoration. Christ interrupts our life when he calls out sin, whether that's from the Holy Spirit or other believers. But we have to let that, sin, or let that frustration lead to fruit. 
and not sin to the flesh. Paul says it so much better than I do. He says, as we have the opportunity, let us do good to everyone, especially those who are of the household of faith. Who needs restoration in your life and who needs your help with restoration? The end, uh, verse 11 through 18, is just a summary of everything Paul's talked about. We've already preached that passage of scripture. But it, it's essentially what Paul does is he says, I want you to redeem the time. I love this. Uh, believers ought to be like the little boy whose family clock malfunctioned and struck 15 times. And he rushed wide-eyed to his mom crying, Mom, it's later than it's ever been before. <laughs> Keep this in mind. If Christ doesn't return in our lifetime, which he might not, he certainly comes individually for each one of us in death. Every pain, ache, gray hair, wrinkle, fun time, funeral, or frustration is a reminder that something in our life needs restored. Either with Christ's help or with our brothers and sisters' help. Because why? Because it's later than it's ever been before. If I had a prayer for you, this is what it would be. That you would humble yourselves, and me included. I'm, I'm in this boat, okay? I'm, I'm struggling with you. That we would humble ourselves and eliminate our pride. That we would call sin, sin. That we would confront our sin, whether it's our own or other people's. And do it in love. And redeem the time. The gospel is on the line. In Jesus Christ and others, we can overcome our sin. You can win the war over flesh. You can see God's favor. Ask yourself these two questions. What needs restoration in your life? And who needs your help with restoration in their life? Now, you gotta go do it. Whew. That's the hard part. Let's pray that God will help us in that. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for your truth. Your word is convicting. And it cuts to, to the heart God, before I go any further, I, I pray this so hesitantly, but it has to be done. That you would restore unto me the joy of my salvation. And you would restore unto your church the joy of your salvation. I'm reminded this morning, as you cut power off this morning, you cut the, the air conditioning off to remind us that you're in control of all things. I'm reminded of the global church that's gathering on dirt floors. I'm reminded of the people who are gathered in, in hiding, reading the same passage of scripture that we're reading, needing the same restoration that we need. God, we're all humans. We all fall short of the glory of God, but, but your son Jesus didn't. And because of that, we can be restored into righteousness. So God, here's the prayer this morning. I've been praying it all week. Search my heart, oh Lord. Search my heart. Search everyone's heart who's gathered here today. Maybe you're here, and the first step for you is to accept Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. If God is knocking at your door, and he is showing you that you are a sinner, repent of that sin, come into a relationship through faith. The Bible says in Ephesians 4, it is by grace that you have been saved through faith. You can't work for it. It is a free gift of God. Receive it this morning in faith. Simple. Jesus, I trust you. I trust your blood covers my sin. I want a relationship with you. Now, God, so many of us have done that. And here's the deal. I'm included in this. We've let the world infiltrate our ways and we need restored. And so whether that's a hard conversation 
that somebody has had with us this past week that we need to go back to them and say thank you. Or we need to pray that more people have hard conversations with us. Or God, maybe we need to have a hard conversation with somebody. It scares me to death that somebody, God, is gonna come up and talk to me after church today. And when that happens, I pray that I would welcome that critique and let my critics become my coaches, especially when they're in the family of God. God, we need help. Humble us. Destroy our pride. Let there be nothing. Thank you for listening to the Community Gospel Church podcast. If you would like to support this ministry financially, simply log on to communitygospelchurch.com and click the Contribute tab.